You're listening to the Fix the Money, Fix the World Show on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network. Here's your host, Luke Mickich. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for tuning in. In this week's podcast, I had the uh, pleasure of sitting down with TXMC, who is an on-chain analyst for Glassnode. And you guys will notice this is actually the second week in a row uh, that we're looking at on-chain metrics again. Uh, I I didn't actually plan that. It's just kind of how uh, my schedule unfolded. And I suppose it's a little bit due to popular demand. Everybody's pretty interested in the on-chain fundamental space and in particular how these metrics look for this uh, incoming Bitcoin bull market. Uh, For those of you guys know I'm a little bit of a perma bull. I do think this uh, incoming Bitcoin bull market has the potential to be a super cycle and a lot of the metrics that uh, TXMC walks us through today kind of point towards something has changed here uh, with Bitcoin when looking at the on-chain metrics. Uh, For those of you guys tuning in on the podcasting platforms, be sure to go and uh, tune into the video on YouTube if you want to uh, have a look at all the charts that TXMC is walking us through on the screen. Uh, The video footage will be released there. Now, Now, I really hope you're going to enjoy this show. Before we jump into it, we better say thank you to today's show sponsor, who is Coinbeast. Do you have questions about Bitcoin? Personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a Bitcoin pro on Coinbeast Connect. You can learn about mining, security, the lightning network, taxes, and many other topics. It's really easy. Choose your topic and pro, select a date when you're available, and bring your questions to the meeting room. Book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the Connect tab. Be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need. Uh, so welcome back to the podcast today, guys. Today, I've got the absolute pleasure of sitting down with the one and the only TXMC. So how are you doing today, my friend? Doing very well, sir. I'm so glad to be here and to finally get to talk to you uh, outside of spaces. Yeah, well, TXMC and I have had many a conversation on spaces lately. Uh, I think I've seen you in there for months now. And anyone listening, definitely, I keep saying this, you're missing out if you're not on the Twitter spaces on the daily. You can learn a lot in there. So definitely go and check that out. But um, maybe we should start uh, learning a little bit about you, TXMC. Obviously, don't say anything that doxes yourself too much. But what are you doing? And, you know, how, how did you find Bitcoin? Well, uh, again, thanks for having me on the show. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, so I found Bitcoin, well, I've found it and then given up on it a couple of times over the last decade because I didn't understand really anything about finances or money or what how Bitcoin worked. I was just an idiot, you know, gambling essentially. And that happened in 2014. I was in the market and I left, sold everything I had because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I was in the market for about two weeks. Um, in like February of 2014. And then uh, I also did the same thing again in 2017. But the last couple of years, I've been on a bit of a personal journey of just growth, just kind of growing up um, and learning about finances, thinking about the future of investing. I'm a father now. And uh, that you know ultimately led me to Bitcoin, especially after the events of last year, which I think happened to a lot of folks. And, you know, in these spaces that we're in, you talk to a lot of people that came to Bitcoin in the last like calendar year, 18 months, uh, basically since COVID. And so I think that I'm definitely in that group. And, you know, I started, I started learning about it and I got really fascinated and I just started to understand that this is really the future of where value storage is going and where wealth transfer is going to go. 
and just from what I could understand about money at that point. And, and I just started immersing myself in the universe and trying to learn as much as I can, which is still ongoing today. And it never stops. I think you and I were talking a little in DMs the other day about how this just branches out. You start learning more about all these other topics that you never knew you'd have any interest in or that would have any relevance. But when you find something that fixes the money, uh, you know, it fixes the world. So it's just opened a whole world, a whole, whole universe of new, new learning for me. And um, through that learning, I found on chain. I, I, the first thing I found was the stock to flow model, which is kind of funny. I think that's the first thing a lot of plebs find when they're just like looking at Bitcoin data. And I, I saw it, I thought it was really cool, but I felt like there was, there had to be more. The, the, the ledger, if it's showing this, that there must be other things that we can do and play with. And I wanted to get in there. Uh, so I just, you know, one thing led to another, found out about Glassnode, found Checkmate, who I now work with, which is amazing. Uh, and just th that was earlier this year. And, and I joined Twitter in May, and it's just been a roller coaster of excitement and just changing my life like week by week. Now I'm here. It's wild. Um, I think Twitter is a really interesting space. And especially I think Bitcoin overall is an interesting space. You kind of get out of it what you put in. And it's crazy. You only joined in May. I, I remember when I was first talking to you on these spaces, I think you only had maybe a couple of thousand followers. I, I remember checking the other day and you're well over 20s and you're, and you're working at Glassnode. So um, things change so quickly. Um, if you put the work in, I, I think you've done that, brother. Not not even blowing smoke up your ass. You, you've the, the charts and the analysis you put out on Twitter. Uh, it's it's pretty good. But um, I think that's a good segue. Actually, uh, before we get into the charts, maybe just to give uh, any new people a brief kind of overview of what on chain actually is. Sure, sure. So, on chain, uh, you know, in a sentence is the study of the market forces that underlie Bitcoin, Bitcoin's immutable ledger. I always call it corn. It's the corn. <laughs> it is the corn, Bitcoin's immutable ledger. Uh, and because of its transparency and its permanence, uh, we have unfettered radical trans, you know, new access to the market forces that underlie Bitcoin. And, you know, for decades, tomes have been written about market forces, about the behaviors of investors in bull and bear cycles, how strong hands sell into market strength, how dumb money buys the tops, you know, what creates a blow off peak. All these things have been written uh, and studied, but we haven't actually been able to chart these behaviors in any kind of meaningful, like real time way until Bitcoin and on chain really started to flourish. And this study is only a couple of years old in its current state. So we still have much more learning and exploring to do. We're really just cracking the tip of the iceberg about how intimately we can get to understand Bitcoin uh, and into the future. So we're really looking at the future of money. Uh, it's a whole new thing in the world of finance to see it this way. It's such a beautiful thing. And I think the charts that you're probably going to uh, walk us through today, it's going to be pretty illuminating for people who haven't uh, seen the on-chain metrics before, because as you said, it's just so transparent. Um, you can spin up a node for $50 at home and you can see every single transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain that's taken, uh, taken place over the past 13 years. Uh, that's absolutely revolutionary. And I think the on-chain metric space is only going to grow. 
Um, there's been a lot of interest in it recently. And that, that's why I've got you on here in particular, TXMC, because you're, you're probably one of the ones really kind of leading the charge in the on-chain space. So uh, let's, let's uh, let the audience um, have a look at some amazingly bullish charts because they on-chain does look pretty good at the moment. It does. All right, let me share my screen here. Okay. So are we, can you see uh, my chart here? We're good to go? Yeah, that's perfect. I'll just move up right, out of the excellent. way. Excellent. Okay, so this chart here is liquid and illiquid supply. So before I start explaining this, I want to explain what an entity is. So at OnChain, you know, our data scientists are really badass. And they, over the last couple of years, have developed some methods uh, that I don't fully understand because I'm not a data scientist. I'm a consumer of this data. Uh, they've developed methods to identify individuals on chain and cluster their addresses together based on behaviors that we can then compare to millions of behaviors, right? And start to piece out what an individual looks like, what wallet management looks like, et cetera. And we call those individuals entities. And an entity can be any single market player. It could be you, Luke, me. It could be uh, Raphael at Checkmate or Raphael or Checkmate at Glassnode. It could be Coinbase. It could be Michael Saylor. Uh, it could be El Salvador. Those are individual entities. Some of them comprise coins that are belonging to many other people, but that's that's just kind of part of the layers, right? But each individual entity, once we've identified them we can have then their spending history over time. And then we can start piecing them up with all these cool different criteria, how long they've been in the market, how much coin they own, whether or not they like to sell those coins. So that's what entities are. And that's kind of how we're going to look at them over the next few charts here. This is liquid and illiquid supply. We One of the ways we chop up our entities is through their likelihood to sell. So based on their historical coin history on chain from what we can identify, we can call an entity liquid or illiquid, not liquid, based on the frequency that coins leave their possession. So an illiquid entity, which are the hodler types, they tend not to sell 75% or more of their Bitcoin. So their outflows are 25% or less of all their activity. Liquid entities and highly liquid entities are the other types. They're the ones that are more favorable to selling. Highly liquid are on the other extreme end from the hodlers. Uh, they sell 75% or more of their Bitcoin. Some of those coins are those owned by exchanges and some other institutions that do a lot of custodial stuff and they're moving coins around a lot. That gets picked up as activity. But some of these are also traders and other ones are emotional investors and people who aren't committed to Bitcoin, right? But they own it, they buy it, and maybe they sell it with the news cycles. There's a lot of narratives that get bundled into these millions of people that make up liquid and illiquid supply. So what we're looking at here is the trend of liquid supply over all of the years of Bitcoin's history. And I'm actually going to color, I want to pull up a mouse cursor real quick so that I can make this a little easier to see. 
because uh, it helps with the presentation. Give me one second. Those arrows All are right. great too. The arrows, you've, the black ones you've got on screen, it, sh it shows a clear uh, change in trend. Oh, well, I guess because I'm looking at an image, it's not going to let me use my, my colored cursor, but that's okay. You can still see it. So over years, the supply that was readily active, that was churning, that was in the hands of people who had a propensity to sell, it was increasing for years through all market cycles. Here's the 20 and 13 and 14 kind of double market. Here's the long bear of 2014 and 15. Here's the 2017 and 18 bull market. Here's where we are now, right? We're over here in 2021. Well, something interesting occurred in March of 2020. And that was that the 10 year to that point trend of liquid supply growth started a macro reversal. And funny enough, the actual peak, maybe I can zoom in a little bit. The actual peak here is the day the market kind of did the flash crash, which I think was May 12th. May 11th of 2020, I'm sorry, March 12th, yep. something like that of 2020. And that was the liquidity crunch, right? It hit all markets. That was the, was in the depths of the COVID economic response, right? And that was when the money printer really got flipped on to high speed. And since this time, the supply held by these liquid entities has been in a reversal. There was a little blip here in May when there was a sell-off during the crash. These, this is people looking for an exit coins moving hands. But otherwise, this macro trend has been going down for the better part of about 18 months now. And I find this really remarkable because it, it tells us a couple of things. It tells us one, that kind of not really mattering how strong the market is, there's been a, now a new regime, so to speak, of hodling, of, of coins tending not to move once they reach their destination. That's really interesting. That's a new trend. Um, and, and I think that it's it just kind of speaks to the store of value properties of Bitcoin really emerging at scale. And I hope that it's a trend we see continue even as we make higher prices here. I do think that we'll see some coins become more liquid as we get maybe into the 70s and 80Ks, which I do expect will happen soon. Uh, we may see this value start ticking up here at the end in the more recent dates. But generally, I do think it's it, it's reasonable to expect that, you know, the, look, Chris Price ripping at the end of 2020 and into 2021, an illiquid supply is taking over. Sorry, liquid supply here is reducing. So the supply held by hodlers is, is being taken. They're, they're, they're taking coins away from these folks. And so the fact that this has just continued, I find really remarkable. I think it's massive. I think it shows that there's a different type of actor in the space at the moment. Um, I, yeah. I think 2020 changed everything. 2020 was kind of the time that for the first time in Bitcoin's history, serious money managers have started to take Bitcoin seriously. And it started with Paul Tudor Jones. And then obviously we've had Stanley Druckenmiller, Bill Miller, uh, Ray Dalio, all, all the legends in the macroeconomic uh, kind of hedge fund investors, they're all interested in Bitcoin. And I, I think this downtrend in coins uh, going to a liquid holders. So if, if I get that right, TXMC, they're people who don't sell more than 75% of the coins they buy. Is that an illiquid entity? Illiquid entities, they hold 75% or more of their Bitcoin. So three quarters of it, uh, all the way up to all of it. 
So their outflows are only like 25% of their holdings lifetime. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. That's a great explanation. I think this downtrend since 2020, I think it's all flowing to these people who have only just started to understand what Bitcoin is. Like these guys, all those names I just rattled off, they only got interested in Bitcoin after 2020 and they understand mm -hmm. it's something you hold for the long term. So a very interesting trend. It is. And, and it's happening while we're seeing this unprecedented monetary regime of inflation, right? And in the response to the inflation. And so I, I, I just think that this is a whole new space. And, you know, price can sometimes follow past trends, you know, because traders respond to price action. But underneath, the, the supply dynamics are really painting a different picture for the last year and a half that isn't like past markets. Uh, and so that's just something to keep a, a close eye on over the next few months. I hope that it's a trend for the future. Me too. I, I, I personally, I, I think it's going to continue. I, I personally think we're going to see an absolute supply shock. And um, I, I, I'm not sure if you have a chart in there about coins on exchanges, but that that that's a chart that uh, kind of signifies this as well. It's just coins are moving to the, the to the strong hands and people who aren't trading it. So very interesting. Yes, I do. I do actually have a chart about that. So we'll go to the next one. Sweet. Um. So this is what I've been calling smart money. And you can see I've got a bunch of grayed out uh, elements that I'm not showing on the chart right here because we're gonna focus on these two lines. So the blue line are the whales. This is filtered to take out exchanges. Uh, it does have like grayscale in there, but basic, but their holdings have been pretty static for the last few months. So they're almost like a non-factor in the trend of whale supply here. So just for a caveat for people looking at this, but generally this is all of the entities that have a thousand or more Bitcoin. And this is their holdings, this blue line. The orange line is illiquid. These are the folks that are the converse of this group. These are the liquid entities who have a propensity to sell, whose share of the supply has been reducing since March of last year. The orange line here are the opposite side of the coin. These are the hodlers, the sat stackers, dollar cost averages like yourself and I. These are, the, these are represented here in the orange line. And something that I find, there's, there's a few observations here that I want to point out. One of them is that the whales really emptied their bags at this point of the market, well before the top of the market. See, so this point here was when we first broke the previous all-time high. That's this moment here we're consolidating around 19K in late 2020. And as soon as we break out of this, we rip up to 40. Price doubles in a matter of weeks. It was incredible. And during this first pullback, after the doubling of the previous all-time high, we're in price discovery mode here, we have our first quality pullback. And as price rips back over that level, that is where whales sold. It's exactly that moment. This is when their holdings really started to dump. They really, they flooded the market. There's a few other charts of different supply cohorts that I'm, I'm not going to walk through all of them today, but they all have this same kind of pattern, growth until this exact moment here, and then they reverse. This is also where we saw a lot of activity 
that I'll show in a later slide, a lot of on-chain activity really started to recede at this moment here. And in a lot of ways, this point of the market here, this was like February, early February, this point of the market was on-chain the top. And all this stuff that happened after was just a mixed potpourri of various market forces that were relatively new in their uh, versions at the time. So we had the grayscale arbitrage, which I think contributed to a lot of the activity. We had record leverage in the futures market. You know, people on Binance and stuff with like 100, 125x leverage, um, just completely aping into every single thing that was happening. There's also a lot of just kind of casual interest because of Elon and his expression of, of, of interest in letting Tesla take Bitcoin for payment, right? And so that, that all happened around here and carried through these months until the absolute top at this point when, when Coinbase had their direct listing on the stock market in, in the US. And at this point here, this was where the illiquid types who had still been holding throughout this first pullback when the whales started dumping, the illiquid types, which are not all whales, you know, some of them are minnows, some of them are people with 100 Bitcoin, some of them have one Bitcoin. It's people of all sizes. Uh, they were really, as a group, still holding on. And they started to dump when it looked like the top had been put in, when we got this really nasty pullback after the absolute top in the middle of April. That was when illiquid types started dumping. At the same time as whales were already kind of cashing out, you can see them step, stair-stepping down. It is important to remember there aren't quite as many whales as there are group people in the illiquid supply group. You know, there, there aren't that many people with a thousand Bitcoin. There, and there are a lot of them, but relative to this people amount of people in the orange line or really any other supply group, whales are the smallest group. So just a few of them making big moves has a huge impact on the market and on this line here. So that's worth pointing out. But the whales are dumping and illiquid supply, our hodlers, which don't always sell, but sometimes they do, right? And some of them are dumping and this whole market just flushes in May. And then in late May, and stop me if you think uh, you have any questions, if, I, if there's anything I'm glossing over or I'll just keep going. You go for it, mate. The, You're killing it. I'm, I'm loving this. So in late May, this is like in May the 20s, right? the market really hit a bottom. You know, we had this massive sell-off. We had the $10,000 candle, massive liquidations, just fear, panic, the, everything's going to zero, right? And what's really funny is if you look at the illiquid supply line, this orange line, it reversed on that day. Now, the, we actually hit a low here, right? This was like, um, I think in July, late July, we hit a low. But illiquid supply, hodlers of all sizes, began growing their stacks in May after all the panic was over with. And what I think is really, what I think happened here, Luke, I think that we shook out every single possible remnant of casual retail in these days here. And from this moment onwards, this was the hodlers absorbing the leftover supply. You know, price didn't, it broke down a little bit more, but every time it dipped under 30K, dipped under 29, it, it was bought up so fast, so quickly. And, and it really seemed like there was a lot of willing demand in this price range that we hung out in for like two months. And there were a lot of people 
on chain types who were saying that there's a lot of strength in this market. You know, I, we went through a lot here. This was emotionally draining. It's a 55% or so correction, which for anyone who wasn't in the market prior to 2019, that's huge, right? And so we just squeezed all these people out. And all that were left were people with market experience, those who were so pot committed, there's no way they were going to sell, and people who understood Bitcoin. And so it took us a few months to absorb all the supply here. Illiquid types, growing their stacks, whales, it looks flat here. But what's really happening, this is like a net growth outcome, right? You know, there's so many, so many coins here held by so many people. Some of them are leaving, some of them are joining. But generally, the supply stayed flat and sideways. And they really started reversing on this moment. And this date here, I'm just going to guess, I think this was July 22nd. And I think this was the day right after the B word conference. Remember with Jack and Elon. And this was really when the whales just started ripping their supply up. And, and they've kind of followed the market here. You know, they're kind of just going with the market, but they are growing their stacks. And every time they've distributed, the market has absorbed it. And they're just, go ahead, sorry. No, no, you go. The last thing I'll say here, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come up for air, is uh, that in the last few weeks here, as we've created a new all-time high, illiquid supply is still pointed at the moon, brother. This is crazy. This, the, the, the relinquishing of coins by, by strong hands just isn't happening like it did over here. It's really bullish. It's what you want to see. Um, I think while we're still zoomed in, I just wanted to comment okay. um, on this kind of region here. When we were basing out around those low 30K, um, we were bouncing around there for ages. And you, Will Clementi, Daniel Joe, uh, Dylan LeClaire, all the on-chain guys were saying, hey, look, look, coins are going to illiquid entities. That's that orange line. Coins are going to strong hands because at that time, when we were bouncing around at 30K, all of the TA bros, they were all screaming, hey, 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 look, we're headed to 20K. This is a bear market. <laughs> Bitcoin's topped out at 65K. We're due for an 85% correction. Um, you had Michael Burry drawing his head and shoulders patterns saying it's going to zero. But all you on-chain oh, guys were like, no, no, no. Poor Burry. Yeah, poor Burry. He deleted his Twitter account and everything. Oh, that poor man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just think I just think um, on chains definitely um, good to good to definitely look at um, because well price has price has followed it. You guys were calling it a divergence, so the price was going down while we're in the thirty k region, but the illiquid supply that orange line that you're pointing to that was just going up, indicating coins exactly. are going to the strong hands. So I think it's you nailed it, brother. It's a really good indicator to um, keep an eye on. Um, and yeah, that was kind of exactly my point. The the bullish divergence here, price weakness, but an underlying bullish dynamic in the supply being pulled away and put into strong hands. On chain, it's a beautiful thing. Um, Excellent. Uh, I have other charts. I've got I've got several more. Would you like me to go to the next one? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's rock. Okay. So I brought this one for you, Luke. These are our exchanges. <laughs> and I got the nice colored stacked chart here so the viewers can ooh and ah at our beautiful color palette. 
You know me well. I love coins and exchanges. I think I asked you about this in a space yesterday specifically, I think. Yeah, you did. Yeah. 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 CK and I had a little interaction about that. Yeah. He was saying he doesn't, he doesn't believe coin exchange balances are that important, but I disagree in a sense of trend monitoring. I think they're very key. I think they tell us a lot about behaviors in the market. And so what we'll say here about these exchange balances. So one thing that we will note before we get any further is that exchange balances, the shape of them follows closely the shape of liquid supply. And that is because highly liquid coins are coins that are on exchanges. But as we said, there are a lot of other people who make up highly liquid supply as well. So uh, sometimes when I talk about highly liquid supply, someone asks if that is only exchange coins. And I just want to point out, it is a lot of them, but it's not all of them. So the exchanges themselves currently have about two and a half million coins, which if my math is correct, is like 13% of the supply or something like that. Uh, the, yeah, the supply, the exchange total, like all of the exchanges combined have never really been more than, you know, 18 or 20% of the total issued supply at any point. And so a lot of time, you know, they do have a huge impact and a lot of price action happens on the exchanges. It's where it occurs. But the, the actual mass of coins, the majority of them are held elsewhere. So that's something that I like to always point out to folks is that even though Coinbase is massive and Binance is huge and you know even Robinhood, which isn't on here and FTX, which isn't yet on here, they have a lot of coins, uh, but generally the vast majority are owned by other actors, other market participants. So the exchange balances, the reason I have it up here for us is because they were also growing for years, you know, from like 2013 when we really started seeing the first exchanges online, uh, all the way up until, what is this? March of 2020. Exchange balances were growing really in previous bull markets, in previous bear markets, in raging bull markets, which is what you'd expect, right? You would expect coins going on the exchange in a bull market. People are putting them on for sale. Right, you don't want to take them away if it's a bull market. You're trying to make some profit, right? At least that that was the that was the mo back here in 27 and 2018. There was also a lot of activity back here because all the other coins were being traded as alt pairs with BTC, right? So there was just tons of activity on on the exchanges at this time, and this balance just continued to grow even in the bear market in 2018 and 19. Like it's just going up, 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 up until this point here. And it even made this little peak, like this perfect, this perfect little mountaintop peak on the flash crash day that we spoke about before. And since then, macro downtrend, except for this one panic flush here, macro downtrend. And even in the last few weeks, macro downtrend. We're, we're now at multi-year lows on exchange balances, like this line, you know, if you were to carry it all the way across, it's over here, which is like August of 2018. What's most interesting Remarkable. there, TXMC, is even th this massive bear market that we, well, not really a massive bear market, but I consider what we just went through six months ago as what the bear markets are going to look like moving forwards. We had a, what, a 55% correction. China, the second largest country with the largest yep. military banned Bitcoin. And look at the tiny little spike on coins going to exchanges. Uh, I, I like... 
that's that to me speaks volumes um that the that didn't that level didn't even reach anything close to what was previously on exchanges in the 2020 flash crash um i think that's mm-hmm. that's very interesting to me it is to me as well and you know there are a lot more there are many other custodial operations out there that didn't exist even a year ago and to be fair to the data and our observations they're not all listed here, right? You know, like Fireblocks owns a ton of coins and they do custody for a bunch of people. I don't even know how many they have. They're not on here. Robinhood isn't on here. Uh, Glassnode is working on getting FTX. That's in the process of being done right now. There's a lot of work that goes into identifying exchanges on the back end. Uh, but so there's a lot of custodial institutions out there that aren't represented here. But even despite that, I think all that would do was would change this actual top end number. It would just make it a little higher. I think this trend would be exactly the same as it is now, even if we added 20 other smaller institutions that aren't pulled out in the data so nice and neatly here. And, and it's really because of overall aggregate human behavior, right? That that's really what we're seeing here. And it started in March of 2020. And I think as long as this easy money monetary regime exists and this high inflation bordering on hyperinflation environment persists, I don't see why people would want to exit Bitcoin in mass. I couldn't agree more. I like that you said hyperinflation before I said it. I've been copping some flack recently for <laughs> hyperinflation. I, uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I really do think that the significant inflation that we're seeing at the moment to me, it just looks like all the early warning signs of our fiat currency melting down and the poli- the policymakers have no option. They have to continue to print money. So that's why you're mm-hmm. seeing more of the smartest people around the world get interested in Bitcoin. Did you see this morning, TXMC, um, Apple's CEO, Tim Cook, came out and said he owns Bitcoin. That's- I did not see that. That's massive. Um, I love this chart in particular. Because you can see there's, what is that, 3 million coins on exchanges prior to 2020. And now that's been drained down to about 2.5 million coins on exchanges. Right. So I'm sitting there. I always say this in spaces, but I'll say it again here. Michael Saylor has, what, 120,000 coins. Let's keep it easy while we're on air and say it's about 100,000 coins. Now, there's thousands of billionaires out there. Okay. Now, what are they going to do? If Michael Saylor starts climbing the rankings of the world's richest people because he owns like, what, 120,000 Bitcoins, the only way that the Bill Gates and the Tim Cooks and the Elon Musk can stay richer than Michael Saylor is to accumulate Bitcoins because we well, we both agree Bitcoins are going to continue to go up in price. And if it does, Saylor's going to continue to catch up to them in that world's richest man kind of race, I think of it. And if there's only two and a half million coins on exchanges, that means you can only have 25 people accumulate a size position equivalent to what Michael Saylor has. So that's 100,000 coins. Um, I, I, I just, I think about that all the time. And especially with Tim Cook coming out this morning saying he owns Bitcoin. Um, I, I was tweeting at, at him this morning, trying to trying to uh, poke a reply out of him, but um, saying he's because he's sitting on two hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of cash on Apple's balance right. sheet. Mm-hmm. That's they, that's a they lot. have a ton of cash. Yeah, what if they just put like a one percent allocation? You know, it's insane. 
If they like, you know, they started easing in you know, 1%, 2%, uh, you know, that could really move the market. And then other players would follow suit. 1% cash allocation to Bitcoin um, would be $2.5 billion. That's 100,000 coins. If Microsoft, if Apple wants to put 1% of its cash that is melting at 15% a year into Bitcoin, that's that's 100,000 coins. That's what Michael Saylor has. That's, that's massive. Right, and I don't know how they would do that. You know, so there is another means of coin acquisition of market entry that isn't the exchange, you know, they're the OTC desks. That is one other way to do it. Uh, and we track a few of them at Glassnode. I don't have a chart for you about it here, but I can say that it's it's much smaller of a balance than what's on the exchanges. Uh, it's I think it's less than 200,000 coins on the ones that we track. Um, it, it's not a huge amount of Bitcoin, uh, but they could only service so many of these large players you know, over a period of time. So unless there is some other whale out there that wants to start acting as a liquidity source, <laughs> you know, someone who's sitting on, you know, 300,000 Bitcoin from the old days that we don't know about. I'm sure there's someone out there. Unless that starts to happen, I don't really know where these players are going to get their coins from without having to fight for them in spot market. And that's where I keep screaming and throwing around words like super cycle when I'm in these Twitter spaces, because if, if this trend continues of coins just leaving exchanges and even after 55% corrections, this amount of coins go to exchanges, that's, that's, that's absolutely minuscule. That's, that's nothing. Um, I just, I think it's setting up for uh, it's, well, you, you labeled a recent video you did on YouTube as a new paradigm or something like that. And that's yes. what I think Bitcoin's going through at the moment, a new paradigm. Yes. And, and much of what we're talking about now was the, the content of that video uh, is that I, I believe the market is transforming. You know, yes, there are some things that are similar, but in a lot of ways, this bull market is not like the other ones in the past. And, and I think that we're looking at new trends, not an anomaly. So we'll continue on here. Let's do it. That'd be great. But um, like people say, this is the first bull market that we've actually had models. Um, like in 2017, right. there wasn't a stock to flow. There wasn't any kind of these four-year halving cycles, ideas going around. Now this cycle, everybody's looking at the stock to flow. Everybody's saying, right. hey, look, this is so easy. This is so predictable. Bitcoin's going to top out at 288K. It's just like the previous cycle. I, <laughs> I don't know, TXMC. I, I don't know. I think when everybody's got know. looking at the same model, generally that's when it breaks. But what's, what's yeah. this chart you've got up at the moment? This is minor net position change. Uh, so I see this chart shared a lot on Twitter by all kinds of folks. And uh, I like to try to explain how it works and what I think it means uh, and also why I'm showing it. So there's a lot of talk recently about how miners are evolving. And it's true. The miners, the miner economy is changing. A few years ago, I mean, just a couple of years ago, uh, the mining industry was much more of what you call a wild west. You know, there, there were a lot of unprofitable businesses out there uh, and inefficient operations. And what's happened in the, the last couple of years is that uh, a bunch of next-gen miners have come online. This is newer generation of you know, the S19s and things, and much more computational power. 
there was a, like a generational leap a couple of years ago. And that helped that plus what we're seeing now with monetary policies changing, lending being so readily available. Uh, there's a lot of capital flowing around. What's happening is that the mining industry is becoming more sophisticated and especially now even more encouraged because of China kicking a bunch of them out and then moving to North America and having access to the North American lending markets. What we're really seeing now are places like HUD8 and BitFarms and the like starting to hodl, miners hodling. And the reason that's different is because for years, I mean, this chart is only showing back to 2015, but if I showed you this whole chart, it, miners were a consistent presence and sell pressure on the market uh, basically since the first day there was a market. And they, there's been a lot of times when they've been a heavy sell pressure, especially back in the day when you had to move a lot of coins to make a few dollars. But over the years, their sell pressure has slowly diminished, but remained relatively consistent until the middle of 2019. So what I've outlined on the chart here is a big red area, which if I were to zoom this all the way out, you could take this red area all the way back to like 2011. But I just showed you a couple of years here. Everything before like the middle of 2019, call it like September of 2019, everything before that was what we'll call the old regime. And miners were consistently selling and so what this chart is showing, I think I should update you here. The, the chart itself represents the treasury of the miners. So they have coins that they mine every day, and many of them just get sold straight away. They don't ever make it to any kind of real treasury where they would get saved. They don't get deposited in the bank, so to speak. Those coins are always being sold. It's about 85 to 90% of all mined coins every day get sold. Well, nowadays, you know, there's only 900 coins a day, right? So that's only a few hundred coins being sold on a given day by all the miners put together. But what this, what this net position change is showing is the treasury balance. So we get to see how often miners are able to save, which indicates they are more profitable, that they feel less pressure to sell to pay their operational costs. Because remember, they're businesses now. So if they're selling less, they're more efficient and they have more of a long-term time horizon and just more incentive to hodl, right? They're, they're, they hodl as a means of capital and preservation. And so until the middle of 2019, they were selling all the time. I mean, just look at the red. Their treasury was in a constant state of depletion. They had so many coins from the early days when you would mine 50 Bitcoin per block every 10 minutes, right? And 25 coins every 10 minutes and 12 and a half. That, that went on for years, the first 12 years of Bitcoin's life. And there's a lot of coin in the minor treasuries. Well, they've been, they were depleting and depleting and depleting until this moment that I said things really started to change. New machines, new efficient miners, new efficient operations. People were learning from past mistakes. A lot of these Wild West guys got shaken out in 2017 and 18. A bunch of them got shaken out here when these new gen miners came online and the hash rate wars or the, the, the arms race really took off. And so we're seeing heavy now, heavy miner hodling. Look how much more green exists in this regime that I've boxed in compared to the, you know, four years previous that I have on the chart. It's noticeable. And what we can say about this piece right here, this big red piece, 
one aspect of that is that there was a 2011 miner that cashed out really big. We've heard that from our data science team at Glassnodes, a little insider tip for you. So you can take this piece with a small grain of salt. There was some selling from other miners, no doubt, but a big piece of it was a specific actor. So with that knowledge, you can just really interpret a huge change in behavior for our miners. And while they do represent a small day-to-day selling pressure, they can at times play a very large role because they have 10% of all the supply. And so it's important to keep in mind how their operations are working, what their sell pressure looks like, because we get an idea of their profitability, the marginal profitability. And so uh, to kind of wrap up this slide here, miners are shifting their behavior to one of hodling. BitFarms and HUD8 hodl 100% of their mined coins because they access all of their CapEx through the lending markets and investment. They, you know, they enable debt, so to speak, you know, to, to pay their, their costs because money is so cheap now. Why wouldn't you? Uh, and so they're basically refinancing the house over and over again to pay their costs and someone's willing to buy it. So I, I think that this is a really interesting new dynamic to, to keep an eye on. That's massive that you've got miners now hodling Bitcoin. Now that they can access cheap money and cheap debt from the money printer, that they're not even selling Bitcoins anymore. I think that's massive. Um, yeah. Something something else that really sticks out um, on this chart to me, TXMC, is you've got the big red spike in early 2020 from that 2011 whale that cashed out. But when we're zooming in on the China mining ban, I, I would have expected that to be a lot bigger, to be honest. That looks pretty small. You know, it is a bit remarkable that the miners who left China were not forced to sell more than they did, that we didn't see some huge cash out. And I, I think if I had to just purely speculate, this is just anecdotal, my guess would be that many of them, many of them just probably just went out of business. I, mean, I bet there's some of them still sitting on coins, but I think a lot of them had every intent of setting up shop as soon as possible, right? They're committed to this business. And so I don't think they wasted any time moving. And, and it's really indicative, I'll show a little bit later, just how quickly the hash rate has recovered. It's been, it's, it's quite insane how quickly the hash rate has recovered, how fast Bitcoin as an entity and organism was able to just kind of shrug off the great migration, the great China ban, and just keep on trucking. Uh, it's really, it, it is remarkable to see that. And I think China did Bitcoin a massive favor. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Um, per- personally, I, I'm a little bit uh, thankful that it is China, the country that bans Bitcoin first. Um, that's kind of, I hope the Western world uh, looks at that and says, okay, maybe we should do the opposite of what China's doing. Um, obviously, right. I feel I feel bad for the Chinese people. I, I hope they can get access to freedom money and escape the Orwellian tyranny that they're under uh, with their central bank digital currency over there. But I think it's good for countries like the United States and and hopefully countries that are aligned with the US like Australia, that maybe we take a different approach and maybe accept freedom money for our people. Um, I agree. Could not agree more. TXMC, I want to be a little bit respectful of your time. We have been going for a little while. Um, Maybe we can just have a look at maybe one or two more charts. I don't want to keep you for too long. It's, It's a little bit later over there in where you are. 
It's okay. Sure. Well, uh, let's see what the, I don't even remember what the next one is. So why don't we just, it'll be a surprise. Let's find out. <laughs> let's do it. Boom. All right. You know what? And we'll touch on this one and I can go to another one because this is just kind of reinforcing a bit of what we were talking, what, what we'll talk about in the next slide. So we can combine two into one. Too easy. All right. So what we're looking at is the HODL waves. This is the distribution of all of Bitcoin's supply broken up by the age of those coins, meaning the age that they last, the time that they last moved. Right. And, you know, we have older coins at the top and younger coins at the bottom. And what happens over time. So, first of all, when a coin is spent, its lifespan resets to zero and it becomes a freshly newborn coin and it starts aging all over again. So, as as coins get older, they mature and their color cools. They're going into cold storage. It's a you can use that kind of analogy. So they're cooling as they get older. And so the 10-year coins are up here at the top. And right now what we've done is we've taken out all of the coins that are three months or younger. So this is everything older than three months. And what's interesting about this chart is that the amount of supply over here owned by coins that are older than three months is the most it's ever been in the history of Bitcoin. There's more three plus month old coins than at any other point. And we are at all time highs right now, which has not been the case previous times that we were at all time highs. See, you can see there's a big dip right here because this was people distributing into the highs. We did have that earlier this year, distributing into the highs, but this accumulation, so you see how this is just going up? This is coins growing from the filtered out younger groups growing into these bands and maturing, and they are adopting more of the supply, and they now own more of it than they ever have. This is hodling behavior visualized. It's interesting and, that it's making all-time highs, even compared mm -hmm. to 2017. More and more of the coins are in the hands of, again, stronger, stronger holders. Yeah, I think people are understanding Bitcoin more. They're more experienced. They have more history to base their decisions on. And just the, the culture and knowledge of its store of value uh, and what's going on with the money supply uh, is more prevalent now, I think. And so I, all, I believe all those factors are contributing. I and I'll hop just straight into the next one, if you don't mind, because it's related to this. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this is one I've shared on Twitter a couple of times, but I love talking about it because they find it so fascinating. So what we're looking at is coin destruction. So it, just a second ago, I was talking about how when you spend a coin, its lifespan resets. Well, until that happens, it's sitting there aging. And every day, every whole Bitcoin that exists accumulates one coin day. And so if you bought a whole Bitcoin today and you didn't spend it until a year from now, the day you spent it, it would destroy 365 coin days. And so when we get big spikes on this line, it's because a lot of coins with a lot of coin days accrued to them are being spent at once, right? So we get a, a proxy for spending velocity. And you can see that in bull markets, if you look at the price in the background, whenever price is going up, this is usually going up into the peaks and it recedes in bear markets during accumulation. And in all the previous markets, this value has been very high in the bull market. And in these dashed lines here, these dashed lines represent when we when the price broke the previous all-time high, which is a key 
pivot point in bull markets. That's when we see a lot of spending behavior. That's when old hands come to life. That's when we start to see what the demand and supply battle is really going to look like. In those moments, when price has broken the previous all-time high, these green stars represent how much coin destruction, how much of this spending velocity we were seeing on chain at the time. And if you see in 2013, this value was up here. It was above this kind of blue baseline of low activity. Same thing in 2014, it was up here and it spiked very heavily. In 2017, as we were breaking the all-time high from 2014, this value was elevated even more than in the previous markets. And we got a huge spike of activity. So there's a lot of coins being, being spent. There's a little bump here uh, in this recovery from the, the real capitulation in 2019. And then here, this was 2020, right? This is 2021, I guess, uh, or no, 2020. <laughs> as we broke the all-time high at the end of last year, broke 19K, coin destruction's up here. Here we are now. Look where we are now. This is historical lows in coin spending activity on chain. It's very historically low and we're at the all-time high. So this coupled with this view of three month and older coins owning a ton of supply, you're really just getting a sense of hodling. I mean, that's what all of these charts are showing us. They, they're all backing up the same crazy narrative that none of these Bitcoiners are spending their corn. <laughs> that's that's what we want. Uh, this chart in particular, when, when you were laying it out, TXMC, I've never seen it before. So while you were explaining it, I was sitting there trying to scratch my head thinking, what is what is this? What are the stars? What are the stars? But it, that's shocking. The fact that we've crushed, shocking. we've crossed the all-time high down here on the far right of the, the screen where that green star is. Because look at how large that uptick is. Every single time you cross an all-time high and where you've got the green stars on the chart yeah. marked, you get a massive spike, meaning that yes. people, people have been waiting for Bitcoin to cross all-time high. And then they maybe sell a little bit of coins. They, they're probably the people who bought the tops in previous cycles. Right, right. And, and in some cases, it's some smart money selling to dumb money, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's people just panicking and finally getting out at their cost basis. You know, it could be any of those things. And every market before has had so much more activity. Even this 2013 and 14 double market, which kind of is in some ways, the profile that I've been using for what I think this year is going to do, even though this year is more drawn out, bigger market, right? But even here, when we had this double move, it, this is where we would be, you know, this is where we are in the 2013-14 cycle now. We're about this point right here. And look how much more coin acti coin corn activity <laughs> there was at the time. It was, it was well above this blue line here, mate. And then look where we are here. This is crazy, Luke. I, I, this is really one of the most remarkable charts that I have. And in some ways, yeah, you could say that Lightning is taking some base layer activity away. And while Lightning is remarkable and it's amazing and it's going to do wonderful things in the years to come, I don't know that it's taking that much activity off of the base layer, right? Settlement still has to occur at some point. And, and we're just not seeing a lot of activity relative to where we would be in the point in past cycles. So it's really crazy to me. Yeah, me too. This chart's probably nearly my favorite now that I've looked at it for a little while. Um, and I agree. I don't think Lightning's quite big enough to be making this kind of an impact on a chart. 
Um, I think there's only a couple of thousand coins or corns uh, locked into the Lightning <laughs> at the moment. So I, I don't think it could you know, impact the chart as much as it, as much as, as much as this, this is dr a dramatic shift. Um, right. I don't think so either. Uh, so something tells me that we're seeing more, this is more evidence of the behavioral trend shift that's being supported by all these charts we've looked at. New paradigm. That's what it looks like. New paradigm, new paradigm, man. I love it. It's crazy. Uh, I have, I think I have one or two others, but it's really up to you how we're doing on time. Uh, entirely up to you, mate. It's middle of the day where I am. So I, I can, I can go for as long as you like. Um, I, I know it's a lot later where you are. So um, it's okay. It's all right. I, I, I was ready to do this. I'm so excited to talk to you. I can just do this forever. It feels like, so <laughs> I, I, we can go look at another one if you want. Let's do it. Let's do it. That's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin. It's, um, I, we're on those spaces for hours and hours and hours on end. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating. I agree. Okay. All right. So we'll leave, we'll leave it with this one. All right. So this is the, this is one thing that it's, it's not bullish nor bearish. It's intriguing. And this is a, this is a view of on-chain activity itself, like transactions and the entities participating in those transactions. So remember an entity is an individual on-chain. It could be one person, it could be a family institution, a small company, it could be MicroStrategy, it could be Coinbase. Uh, but these, this blue line are active entities and the orange line are their count of transactions, not the volume, just each individual spend. And the activity on chain really ramped up here in 2020 as we, you know, we were breaking the all-time high here. This is that 19K consolidation we talked about earlier. We ripped up to 40K. This was a huge moment. Look how many active people on the network this day, all-time high. And this really pulled back heavily as we hit 40K, did the little pullback, pushed up. This is where the whales were selling in our previous slide, this moment right here. And this is also where active entities, so the individuals on chain, really started to reduce, to decline. And it declined heavily, even though price kept bouncing around. And part of that is because of the grayscale arbitrage, because of futures leverage, because of just a few apes in spot who thought Elon was going to take him to 100K in two weeks from there, you know, just, just playing around. There's a lot of weird things going on, but on-chain activity was declining precipitously. We saw participants on-chain falling off until late summer, even after this moment here where we saw illiquid supply starting to grow. That was this moment here, right? Well, we still were seeing people. This is the casual retail ringing out of the market that I was talking about. This is people just leaving. And you hit this baseline. And here, this line right here, these guys right here, these are the hodlers. This is us, baby. Mm -hmm. But no one is left but these folks right here, DCAing every day. That's us on this line. And it's been growing for the last few months. But just the thing that I pointed out, the things that I've circled here, is that we're back at the all-time high. But the level of active entities is still kind of in pre-bull levels. It's still like down here. I mean, you could argue it's similar to this level as well, uh, a little further down the, the timeline. But still, up here was where we broke the previous all-time high, not down here. And that's where we are. So there's still a lot of people that just haven't come back. And the transaction count as well has followed a similar pattern. I don't have to explain that one as much. But you can see it's also still back here at this level, kind of pre-bull level. 
pre-ball levels that's a really interesting one because uh, a lot of people are expecting they're looking at that four-year cycle again txmc and they're saying guess what this is going to be just like prior cycles. If you if you look at the time-based analysis for each four-year cycle, there's a lot of people thinking Bitcoin's going to top in December or January 2022. But I think a common theme amongst a lot of the on-chain analysts is they're looking at things like this, saying that, hang on a minute, transactions and active entities, that they're only at pre-bull market levels. Um, I think Willie Wu's saying that he expects the bull market to go for another six months or much longer into next year. And mm, that kind yeah. of, that opinion lines up with this chart here, just showing that this bull market has a lot of room to go. Retail's not even here yet. Um, You're right. You're absolutely right. You know, the market does remain vulnerable to some huge seller just flooding spot with a big order. That could, that could happen at any time. And it could cause like a chain reaction of panic temporarily but i strongly believe based on everything we've been looking at based on the accumulation behavior that we've been seeing you know all summer long and even during some of these moments in like september like when we had that flush out on el salvador's bitcoin day you know that was kind of a scary day mm -hmm. uh and there's been you know had the evergrand thing just a couple weeks later there's been plenty of things to be scared of uh but the accumulation behavior has been super strong and i just can't believe that people are have weathered all of this trash just to dump out of their bags at like 75k you know i just something tells me that's not going to happen i you know if i'm proven wrong so be it we'll talk about it when it happens we'll observe the data but currently i just don't believe that's realistic i believe that there's much more to go the the, 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 uh, the data doesn't lie um I, I like you mentioned the el salvador day um, I was doing a live stream with Daniel Joe, another on-chain dude. Right here. The, yeah, the very day. Love Daniel we, Joe. You're, you had a great show with him, by the way. I watched that. That was excellent. Oh, I appreciate it, dude. Thanks for that. Little shout out there to Daniel. Um, but yeah, we, yeah. we were looking at on-chain the very day that Bitcoin was wicking down to $40,000. It had crashed like 18% in a day. Everybody was screaming, oh, that was your that was your dead cat bounce. Bitcoin's going down to 20K now. This is a bear market. But all the charts we were looking at, strong accumulation. Coins were going to whales. Coins were going to long-term holders and illiquid entities. Even under that massive 18% crash yeah. in a day, it was, it yeah. was uh, the, the trend just simply doesn't lie. Um, and I think yeah. you really these, painted these that picture here. There they yeah, are. What you're just, yeah, what you're saying, exactly what you're saying in the data right there. Yep, that's that little crash, uh, the big 18% crash on the El Salvador day. We went from 52K to 40K, and that orange line, a liquid supply, just was rising. And we yeah. were kind of, we were a little bit scared sitting there, like doing a live stream saying, hey, we're really, really bullish on a day that Bitcoin crashed 20%. But, you know, the, the data doesn't lie and price. Price is respecting what on-chain showing. So it's very interesting. I agree, my friend. It's it's very exciting. And uh, uh, I don't know. I just, I think that Bitcoin hasn't even been through a whole market cycle with on-chain yet. I mean, you know, in its current form, it's, you know, a year or two old. Uh, it's been around for a couple of years, but folks weren't really sharing it in the way that they are now until this past year. And so I think we're going to learn a lot about Bitcoin over the next few months. Uh, I think we'll probably be surprised. It's, it always finds a way to surprise us, but I think it will be surprising us uh, 
in a positive way. I, I, I don't think that we have a lot of negative scares in Bitcoin. I think it's weathered too much. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think Bitcoin Tina says all surprises will be on the upside. And I tend to agree. Uh, I think plan B says when he expects his model to break, he also expects that to break to the upside, not the downside. Um, so maybe, maybe we can finish off with more of a maybe zoomed out question for you, TXMC. We've had a look um, at a lot of the kind of intermediate 12 to 24 month trends going on in Bitcoin. And you did a great job highlighting the trends. Um, I always learn a lot um, looking at the on-chain. So I thought that was really good to have a look at those trends. But if I were to say to you, what's Bitcoin doing in 2030? Um, maybe you can walk us through what you see Bitcoin being in the long term. Uh, you briefly mentioned today hyperinflation and fiat currency. Uh, a lot of people think Bitcoin's just going to be like a digital gold and it's, gonna, it's just going to chill out at 500K and, you know, that's its potential. But what are your long-term thoughts on Bitcoin, TXMC? Hmm. I think Loaded about this question. a lot. Well, you know, I, don't, I, I, I can give an answer, but I, obviously none of us know really. Um, but I, I think based on what we've been seeing the last year, it's clear that the public are going through some kind of a reckoning with, with money, with their understanding and their relationship with money, their expectation of authority to manage or be involved or not involved in their lives and the money. And I think that we're really in, in, a, in a pivotal generation for you know the next hundred years or so, I haven't read the fourth turning, but it does feel like we're at one of those kind of moments, you know, right? Where the, the key is turning in the lock. Something's changing here. I believe that over the next few years, that the amount of potential inflows for Bitcoin are are almost incalculable because it's the doors have barely even begun to open. And even just the wealth management industry, let, let's, let's leave the bond market out of it. I can let Foss talk about those things. I don't know enough <laughs> about to speak intelligently about the bond and the credit market. There's hundreds of trillions there, but you know, there's also many tens of trillions, maybe over a hundred trillion, I don't know, in the you know private wealth, wealth management industry. Uh, and those people have barely even begun to learn about Bitcoin as well. So I think that there's so much potential and, and based on basically the impossibility to destroy Bitcoin at this point, the network is so dispersed. There's so much human and real capital invested in its long-term success and existence at this point. There is simply no way to destroy it. If there is a single node anywhere with a copy of the ledger, Bitcoin will continue to exist. And as long as each of us have a node, mine's in the mail, then that will continue to be a possibility. So Bitcoin is not going anywhere. Its properties are not changing, but the world around us is changing dramatically. And I think that that reckoning that I was talking about will result in people having an awakening to where they should put their wealth going into the future, how they can set them their families up to survive these unprecedented times. There's a lot of people in the Western hemisphere who have no idea what hyperinflation looks like, you know, but you ask, People in Argentina or Venezuela, what it looks like, they could tell you. Uh, you know, there's other places that have experienced it. But I, I just, I think that in the next, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to try to put a number on it. I, I do believe that we're looking at, you know, 
many tens of trillions in potential market cap over the next 10 years. I think that we're just the tip of the iceberg. And you know, there's only going to be 19 million coins for those tens of trillions of dollars to inflow to. Uh, so that the price really has no ceiling at that point. I think that it will continue to be tied to the equity markets for a period of time longer, because it, there's still a lot of people that believe that cash is the right place to go in uncertain times, but they'll learn very quickly. Their money is being melted, to use your words, uh, at a rate it's never been before. And it doesn't take long for that understanding to take root in mass for, for a lot of people to understand that. Couldn't agree more. Um, like how many, I think the kind of awakening to people questioning what money is, that's the biggest thing that stuck out to me post-2020. Like how many times did you hear the word fiat money thrown around before 2020? Me, not, I'd, I'd never heard not the much. word. And, and now everybody's talking about money printer go burr. It's, it's amazing. And uh, like it you is. said, people, people in Argentina, they don't need to know the technical underpinnings of what Bitcoin is and how it works. They just know that it works better than the Argentinian peso. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and that's the same thing going on. And, you know, people, people in Nigeria are using it a lot and it's a lot of places that have a use case like that, you know, just to kind of touch on what's happening here in the, in the, in the West and I guess in the U S specifically where I know the most about the markets, uh, you know, with this memification of investing and trading now the wall street bets crowd, you know, what's happened just in the last calendar year, the really year and a half, the influx of people in, interested in trading and investing has exploded. And a lot of those people are not necessarily interested in fundamental value investing and finding a good deal. They're interested in making as much money as humanly possible as quickly as possible. And they seem to have uh, insane risk tolerances. And I think that really seeing that, seeing this mass influx like TD Ameritrade and Schwab and Robinhood are talking about getting record new users like quarter after quarter. And, and I, I think that all of this is really the first signs of the cracking of the veneer of the petrodollar in the minds of this generation of people, that the money is becoming more and more of a plaything. It's less and less of something that people are concerned about storing into the future because there seems to be an infinite number of it, an infinite amount of it. And so that, that to me, just speaking largely to the evolution going on in the mindsets of people, that the money is just less and less of a real thing to them anymore. And I think that that Bitcoin largely, maybe gold and silver a little bit, because gold will retain some store value properties, even though it will be inferior, but benefits, but the benefit largely will go to Bitcoin, I think, long-term, no doubt. I couldn't agree more. That's a really interesting point you mentioned there on the psychology of these young investors and money. Um, I'm seeing something similar. They just they, they, they're just throwing the money around like it's worthless. And that's a trait that you see uh, before a lot of currency collapses and hyperinflations. Everybody thinks they're a professional stock trader because the price of the stock continues to go up and up and up in price in nominal yep. value. But people don't understand. It's just the currency losing value. The more you print of a thing, everything's going to go up in price. It's it's yeah. just the early warning signs of hyperinflation. And I think um, you mentioned Robinhood there before. Um, mm -hmm. When these people realize that they're playing in a manipulated game, um, I think coming over to Bitcoin is an obvious choice because when these young investors, they figured out how to beat the system when they were trading, was it GameStop? They short-squeezed. Yep. Yeah, GameStop. That was the one they short squeezed 
And when they were winning and when they were making money, they were bankrupting hedge funds earlier this year. And when they were about to bring down the financial system, uh, Robin Hood got a call from the White House and they said, sorry, you need to go in there. You need to stop trading of Robinhood. You can't let those guys buy. You need to, there was even investors who had long positions closed on them while they were open. They just, mm-hmm. Robinhood got told, sorry, you need to shut this down. And I think that was a big awakening moment for a lot of people realizing that even when you win the game that's rigged, they're just going to change the rules on you. And I, I just yep. see that as a massive advertisement for Bitcoin. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they disabled selling for a certain number of their users. You couldn't exit your GameStop position, even though you were up, you know, 200, 300%. Wild. Absolutely wild. Yeah. And we've seen that behavior spilling over. It's, it's probably the movement is a little quieter than it was, you know, earlier this year, it was really ramped up at the first quarter of 2021, but you know, it spilled over into AMC uh, and there's a, several other stocks that have had similar things and it's, they're just chasing whatever has the most short interest to try to stick it to like Melvin capital and these other hedge funds. And, and it's, it's that plus just the YOLO crowd all kind of merging into this cesspool of, of, crazy risk tolerance. And, and I think that you nailed it. It's, it's, it's the first signs of hyperinflation and it's, they think that they're good at what they're doing, but it's because the underlying system is creating a false positive. There's no signal anymore in price, price action in, in the equity markets. That's a great way to put it. There's no signal. Uh, I think Preston Pish uh, calls it, uh, your measuring stick is broken. The measuring stick you're yeah. using to measure everything, it's broken. It's broken. Nothing makes sense. You can't make economic calculations. Um, But yeah, I mean, TXMC, um, I want to be respectful of your time. I've had an absolute blast chatting with you today. Uh, That on-chain, that felt like a masterclass. That was amazing. And you do that over on your YouTube channel. So uh, please let the audience know where they can find you and what you're doing these days. Sure. I've had a great time on here. I didn't even realize that we had gone almost an hour when you first mentioned, Hey, I want to be respectful of your time. Just, I have so much fun talking about this stuff and and answering your questions and I'm learning while we're talking as well, you know? And so this is, I love it. So you can find me, uh, I'm on Twitter at TXMC trades. Uh, post a lot of analysis on there, but I also have uh, a YouTube channel. Uh, My channel on YouTube is called alpha beta soup. You can find me at alphabetasoup.tv. That takes you to my YouTube channel. And it's also on my Twitter profile. Uh, what's the story behind Alpha Beta Soup? I, I haven't heard the story of what does that mean, TXMC? Can you disclose what it means on air? Sure. So I, I you know, I, I was thinking about the Greeks. I was thinking about Alpha and Beta, and I, I wanted to come up with a name to encapsulate, you know, looking at the markets and trying to find edge and in Bitcoin specifically. And I, I thought about beta, you know, which is risk. And I, I thought initially I was going to call it seeking beta, like there's seeking alpha. And I thought that was kind of funny, uh, but I wasn't sold on it yet. And I was talking to my wife and I was like, you know, well, I have my, my name is TXMC, which is just kind of a bunch of letters. And uh, I had this name of seeking beta. I thought that was cool. Uh, and she said, and she said, well, how about alpha beta? I, I said something about alphabet soup. And she said, well, how about alpha beta soup? And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I don't remember if that's exactly how it happened. I'm going to give her full credit. Um, and she also helped me make the logo and everything. She, she's a designer by trade. So um, the, the, 
she helped me turn it into a brand. And then, and now I'm putting out my thoughts and analysis on Bitcoin and just having a blast doing it. And now I get to talk to folks like yourself as well. So it's wonderful. No, it's awesome. I love chatting to guys like you. And that, that's funny as uh, your wife come up with the name for the channel. That's amazing. Uh, she gets a little shout out in this one. Um, yeah, she does. But TXMC, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Listeners, I'm going to put uh, TXMC's YouTube channel and uh, Twitter handle down below in the show notes. So be sure to go and check him out. He does some great analysis on both places. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Luke. See you guys.